What if you are lost in the mountains and out of water? What if you need to take care of a snakebite victim on a mountain trail? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the recently published book for doctors, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. In this segment, we will be focusing on problems during wilderness treks and travel. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. He is president and CEO of the South Coast Hospitals Group in Massachusetts and is board certified in internal medicine. Welcome, Dr. Goodspeed. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, before I get to some of these more specific questions, what is your favorite scenario in the book and why? Well, actually, my favorite scenario is what if you find a cockroach in the patient's ear? Well, that certainly can occur on a mountain trail as well. well and so what's the answer to that? I mean, that sounds, that sounds so horrible, I can't even imagine that scenario. It, it's my favorite one because it's happened to me three times. Um, there was a portion in my career when I, I spent a fair amount of time working in emergency departments. And the first two times, it was in back-to-back unrelated patients. The fact is, it, it just happens. There are a lot of wives' tales about it, which is why why it's my favorite. And the fact is, it's a very simple thing to, to handle. And in most instances, what you do is using a, a speculum and, and find forceps you just gently remove the insect, whatever insect it happens to be. The wives' tales have to do with uh, if you squeeze it too hard, it's going to lay eggs, and, and none of that is true. Some people like to use uh, to you know to drip lidocaine in the ear to anesthetize the insect, but again, I think that's pretty much a wives' tale. The only other caution is to make sure that there's no perforation of the tympanic membrane, which would require more intervention. I think one of the things about it is um, a lot of times the patient, you know, two of the, two of the three times the patient didn't realize what it was. They just thought there was something in their ear. So I chose not to tell them until after I got it out. Oh, my God. Did, would there ever be a time where you would just say, oh, you know, I just cleaned out your ear and not even tell them what was in it? No, I think afterwards. I think you have an obligation to tell them. And, and in fact, uh, if it can be some incentive to uh, perhaps deal with the problem, the infestation, it should be a good incentive to do that. So what do you do if you are lost in the mountains and out of water? I guess water is kind of like an important friend that you take for granted until it's gone. You really need water. If you're out in the mountains and you are lost, the number one thing is finding shelter for warmth. But number two, um, and, and most important, is finding water because you definitely need water. Don't sacrifice water for food. In other words, don't... Uh, don't use up your perspiration by chasing after a wild boar or something for food. Focus on getting water and clean water. So your best sources of clean water are rain or even dew, particularly rain that's collected or dew that's collected on relatively clean surfaces like rocks or, or broad leaves. In terms of collecting the dew, it's easiest to do that with cloth and use the cloth like a sponge and then wring it out and hopefully into a container or perhaps if you're Hiking, you probably have plastic bags with you. With water that's not so clean, um, you need to purify it. And the best way to do that is to boil it. And in fact, you don't really need to boil it for very long. Um, It's more a matter of bringing it to a boil for just a few minutes. Cautions, uh, lake water, streams, they look clean and clear, but they're great sources of E. coli, Giardia, Shigella, Campylobacter, Cryptosporidium. 
uh, you really need to boil those as well. And an ounce of prevention, if you're going up into the mountains, you should be bringing at least two quarts of water per person per day. Well, I think that ounce of prevention is a pretty good idea. Probably should be hiking in the mountains unless you have uh, some provisions about water, food, getting out, finding your way. Exactly. What if you need to take care of a snake bite victim on the mountain trail? Uh, that's kind of horrible. I remember uh, hiking in the uh, Appalachians, and I had read somewhere that there were snakes around, and I not terribly fond of them, and uh, I went way out of my way to put my walking stick way out in front of me whenever I was hiking through something that I couldn't see through. So, uh, but the best precautions sometimes don't work, so what do you do uh, for the snake bite victim? Well, luckily, the vast majority of snakes in the world are not dangerous to humans. Probably about 85% of them are not. And uh, there are data that show that about 20% of the snake bites that occur in the United States are from poisonous snakes. These are typically um, pit vipers, which are uh, rattlesnakes, copperheads, or cottonmouths. And these do occur. Actually, some, somewhere between 20 and 50% of the bites, there's actually no venom injected, the so-called dry bite. But if you do have a bite from one of the pit vipers, it does need to be taken quite seriously. The venom itself contains enzymes uh, that, that break down tissue, nerve tissue, muscle tissue, blood vessels. Um, the sign that this is a venomous bite is localized swelling and burning and perhaps even blistering and, and bruising in the area. Sometimes the patient will actually uh, have a sort of a rubbery taste or a metallic taste in their mouth. And as things worsen, uh, that patient's blood pressure may drop and they will have a accompanying tachycardia and perhaps nausea and vomiting. Um, so what do you do? The key is to keep the patient calm, to try to keep the uh, part uh, that's been bitten at rest, Make sure you're taking a good look at the patient in terms of assessing their overall condition in terms of airway and, and breathing and circulation. Um, on the, if it's on a, a hand, remove any restricting jewelry like a ring or, or watches should be removed because the, uh, things will swell. Keep the bite uh, located below the level of the patient's heart and keep it immobilized. And you really need to transport the patient as soon as you can uh, to a medical facility. With severe bites, um, anti-venin is going to, going to be necessary. Some of the wives' tales that really have no impact, uh, the, the old story about sucking the poison out uh, or you know, making a, an X with a, with a knife and sucking the poison out, has no effect and, in fact, probably um, has risk of causing infection in the wound on top of the impact of the venom. Ice doesn't really make a difference, and tourniquets don't really make a difference either. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide. He is also president and CEO of the South Coast Hospitals Group in Massachusetts and is board certified in internal medicine. In this segment, we have been focusing on problems during wilderness treks and travel. What if your friend suffers a fracture on a mountain trail? Certainly that, that can happen, and you know, the typical cause for such an injury is, is a fall or, or, or a slip and slide uh, down the, the side of a cliff, if you will. Those fractures can range from being the, probably the more common are extremity fractures, um, but you also have to keep in mind there could be rib fractures or even fractures of the spine, which can be particularly dangerous. 
with all of that in mind, the first thing is really to uh, recognize that there is a fracture, so careful examination of, of the uh, part that has been injured uh, to see if there is sign of uh, subcutaneous bleeding, uh, severe pain, you know, point tenderness in the area that you're looking at. And if there's an, any open bleeding, in other words, is this an open fracture? If it's an open fracture, you need to put pressure on it to stop the bleeding. Probably uh, a simple thing is a simple uh, a- algorithm that, you know, A, B, C, D, E, which is airway, breathing, circulation, and then check the disabilities and expose the other parts of the patient that hurt so that you can examine them and take action depending on where the, where the fracture is. You may find your need to fashion a splint for injuries to the um, extremities. There are actually certain ways to fashion a splint in the field if there's a concern about a possible cervical spine injury, even a pelvic fracture. In most instances, you will need to get the person to a medical facility fairly soon. And then lastly, with extremity fractures in particular, just make sure that the patient has good circulation in the extremity and and nerve function because sometimes that uh, fractured bone can lacerate or put pressure on a vessel or a nerve, and that would need to be um, addressed uh, much more quickly than other types of fractures. What if your hiking companion says, I just can't go any further. Leave me here to die. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. at. Um, the fact is sometimes that can be a very, very serious thing, and sometimes it's expression by your companion that they, <laughs> they're tired of listening to your bad jokes. <laughs> um, I don't make any bad jokes. Oh, I, was, I didn't mean you, Michael. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. No, no, I wasn't talking about yourself. I think that uh, important that this should be taken seriously. A lot of times it's difficult for somebody who's in distress to actually even describe uh, what they're feeling, particularly if they're walking along on a hiking trail. So what you need to do is stop and talk to your friend and ask them what is troubling them and give them a chance to rest. And while you're asking them uh, what's troubling them, use your observation skills. Are they having trouble breathing? Do they uh, appear pale, sweaty? Are they having trouble walking? Are they you know, staggering as, as they're walking? These are signs that there could be a serious problem going on here, that they're having trouble expressing, or perhaps they're having cardiac symptoms that are not chest pain, but are non-chest pain uh, type of myocardial ischemia. Whatever you do, don't continue hiking until you're, you're sure that your companion is not having a serious physical problem. It, and be overcautious. If you think something is, is not right, abort the hike and seek help at, at a nearby medical facility. So what do you do if your companion becomes ill the day after diving? That's a scenario where the overall thing is within a few days after diving, particularly scuba diving, any illness should be considered to be possibly related to to the diving until proven otherwise. There are really two types of diving illnesses. One is decompression sickness, uh, which is mostly due to dissolved nitrogen gas in tissues reforming as gas bubbles and expanding. The second type of diving illness to be aware of is air gas embolism, which is also due to nitrogen bubbles, but bubbles that are forming and expanding in the bloodstream and embolizing to small arteries. The key treatment for decompression illnesses is oxygen. 
if you have that available to you, which you typically might not in the field, but you may in terms of the diving gases that you may have with you, you really should go, though, to an emergency facility to have the person treated. If there are no facilities nearby and you have access to a phone, you should contact the Divers Alert Network, um, sometimes referred to as DAN. It's a service, it's a worldwide service that is available 24-7, and they can advise you, most importantly, on where the nearest medical facility is, I want to thank Dr. Ronald Goodspeed, co-author of the book, What If? The Physician Survival Guide, who has been our guest. We have been discussing his book, and in this segment, we have focused on problems during wilderness treks and travel. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.